Hi. Hi, welcome back. I'm Alex. I'm Val, and this is In at the End. We're going to talk about Toodle Fucking New. Yeah, episode three, season two of The Sopranos. Mm hmm. We recorded uh, Alex, a... Alex wanted to start this episode by saying toodaloo. We decided against it. I, I think it's okay. I think it's a we're rare okay. example of a hard cut, hard edit on yeah. this podcast. Some, I guess sometimes we do start our podcast a number of times. Mm, try not to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Typically, it's just like a perfect run. Right. But once we start, we don't stop. So, yeah. so that's what we do. We watch the show for the millionth time mm-hmm. and then we uh have our notes and then we just come and talk about it so that's what we're gonna do as always great toodle fucking new toodle fucking new um i think this episode i don't know at least for me suits itself to talking about characters okay um and there's i mean there's definitely overlap between some of the storylines we have but the storylines we have are really kind of center like we have a lot of separate storylines that kind of converge around tony right i mean he's really the middle piece of all of these things but um like we have meadow and her trouble yeah we have janice parvati wasatch yes parvati Mm -hmm. wasatch um we have our new character richie Mm mm-hmm we major t- addition. Major addition. We have Melfi, including Melfi in her therapy sessions yep. with another great Cup character. And I guess then we have really, you know, well, we have Beansy, I guess, yeah. who again is not a character that we see all that often, but yeah. he's certainly a big part of this episode with Richie. Yeah. And yeah, we have Tony. Livia. We have Livia. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's some great stuff with Livia this episode. So yeah, why don't we kind of discuss characters and their thing? If yeah. that's okay with you? Definitely. Or... Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we start with Richie? Because I mean, he's such a pivotal character to yeah. the show now that he's introduced, and really larger than life. Like, I mean, immediately he becomes a pretty major part of the Even show. Even though he's such a tiny man. Yeah, and that's interesting. I feel like they actually reference his size and the size of characters mm. quite a bit. Mm. In fact, even like that first scene where he meets Tony, you have that sign in the back that we've seen before, any size suckling pig. Right. We have Tony kind of like dominating him in terms of stature, which he's a smaller man. The shots are interesting. They um, often are like face to face when they talk, so it's really easy to see that difference, right? They talk really close to each other's faces. Totally, yeah. And I feel like even though Richie is smaller and his stature is something that is intentionally kind of presented to us as being a smaller person, it's very clear that he can still kind of dominate and he does not get pushed around. So he's a presence that's going to be a threat to Tony in that he doesn't back off and he has his own agenda. He doesn't listen to Tony. We've seen that throughout this episode. And maybe later on, too, we'll see some more of this. But... He, yeah. He's a manipulator, right? We see him go to Junior. Yeah. Right? And I don't know. I, I forget, like, his whole history. He was never... He would be part of Jackie's crew. He wouldn't have been, like, with Junior at any time or anything. Yeah, that's he? a good question. That, yeah. I don't think that's been revealed yet, but... Um, I wouldn't imagine so. I think no. he would probably have been in his brother's crew. Right. Yeah. But he's been around for a while, and he's definitely... Well, he's been away for the, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's interesting, too, for the show to examine the difference in kind of culture that exists from people from a different time. Yeah. So even in 10 years, him showing up and dealing with the culture of the late 90s and the way that it impacts the mob, there's obviously like a cultural divide now. Yeah. Well, even like with, you know, like Tony has to kind of explain that to him when 
he comes to Satrials to talk to Tony about getting his old stuff back or whatever, mm-hmm. even though he later says it wasn't Tony's to give back to him. But he comes to Tony to talk about it. And I love that scene where Tony just, like, stands up, walks away. Sal, like, Sal comes and yeah. sits down in his place. Um, and he's like, what's this all about? And Tony really has to say, like, that's just, like, the way it is now. Yeah. Like, it's a weird time. Right. You know? And he can't accept that. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. The first scene that we have of him is so kind of like representative of him as a character when he does immediately go to see Beansy. He gets dropped off by Adriana and says he wants to walk to see if he sees any of the old crew. But he walks there and immediately we're thrown into a world where this is a very violent, kind of ominous character. Well, when yeah, kind, he, not really immediately. Like, we, it's funny how the scenes are long. cut. It doesn't take long, Even, but we just see him walking to a pizza place, right? So without yeah. knowing him yet. <laughs> right. He, and then it cuts right to Tony yeah. and Carmela, right? So, they, 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 or to Tony going to get mad It does happen rather. quickly. He gets yeah. the walking to a pizza place. And we're like, oh, maybe this is a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> but even when he's there and he's talking to Beansy, it's very threatening. Mm-hmm. And even... The way that they kind of construct that frame when you're looking at Richie with Beansy and they bring over the coffee. and Yeah, you're so aware of the coffee. Yeah, you're so aware. And it's like this object that's hot mm-hmm. and fragile. Like mm. the glass, for me, it really stands out. They make sure that it's present in the frame while the two of them are talking. And it's this kind of like menacing thing that exists on the table. Yeah. And... I feel like I was, even the first time I saw it, before knowing what would happen, there's something that kind of, like, puts you off. There's something kind of not disorienting, but makes you a little bit nervous to see something that projects, like, heat, sharpness, all these kind of, like, dangerous things yeah. on the table there with them. Well, and it's we, it's kind of, like, it. I, I mean, I can't really remember the first time I would have seen that scene, but it's kind of odd for a, a waiter to just like leave a pot of coffee like that on the table, right? Like it's not, that's yeah. not a typical thing that you would see. No. In a no. restaurant, right? So it does, does kind of throw you off. Um, his waiter or to, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, what the fuck, you know, like make sure it's quick. And then he has a coffee. So there's something actually that Richie's like bringing out actually, because Beansy comes across as like this sort of, largely legitimate businessman kind of like mild mannered but it brings something out of him from those old days yeah that is a little bit off-putting from the character that he comes across as originally yeah Yeah. no so yeah so we see then richie right like um we we come to understand that during his 10 years in prison he's meditated on things he says that to beansy um, and then, of course, we see him go to a yoga class, mm-hmm. right? Which, for me, is almost in some ways, like, even funnier than a mob guy going to see a psychiatrist. Like, it's actually, right. like, a funnier... This episode was actually really funny in it a lot was. of ways. But seeing Richie and Janice both in this yoga class, yeah. right? Where outwardly they're both trying to, like, to show that they've both changed, right? They, yeah. And they have that conversation later on where... Yeah. He says, well, I don't think I would have been interested in the Janice that that I knew before. And yeah. she kind of says the same thing. She's like, I can't go back. I'm not the same person. Like, I yeah. can't go back to that. But yet they're both kind of trying to show that they're these changed people. So they're both in this yoga class well, together. I think that brings up a lot of connections throughout the episode. Yeah, I feel we, can like, come, we can come back to yeah, that Yeah, and that's scene. something that yeah. I'll, I'll talk about later. But I think something that was interesting within the yoga scene is they talk about two poses the cobra pose and the child's pose yeah and so the downward dog also yeah and downward dog which yeah then gets referenced later in the episode but cobra kind of ties into what we've been saying in terms of imagery that we've seen linked to janice yeah kind of like insects or reptiles or kind of things these kind of like 
creepy moving. Reptilian, yeah. Yeah. And exactly, yeah. And then also the child's pose I find really interesting because I thought that there was a lot of edits in this episode that link Richie and violence, Janice dealing with her issues, talking about her changing her identity, thinking about the earlier episode where her psychiatrist talks about her regressing, yeah, linking that to Meadow dealing with these adolescent issues. Yeah. Talking about those two going into child's pose, I think there's a lot of adults that are dealing with issues in a manner... That's really childish. That's kind of, yeah, regressive. Yeah. And it's very childish. And the fact that we see this issue playing out for Meadow and Hunter and the way they deal with it kind of ties some links to the way that the next generation actually deals with their issues. And I thought it was interesting. In that yoga scene, I feel like they're actually kind of referencing that. Yeah, totally. I feel like both of our voices today are a lot lower and deeper than usual because we both have colds. So oh. I don't feel as like we're as animated as usual. Right. So. Well, apologies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to break up the monotone that my voice wants to have today. Mm. Um, so oh. we, we also see Richie. So like I think kind of like one of the interesting um, progressions of scenes with Richie that we have is when they're having his like welcome home party at the Bing. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe before that, actually, yeah, the, the scene, there's a scene before that, actually, sure. where he meets with Tony at the mall. Sure. So maybe see. we could go through. Them. Sure. Yeah. Well, we have two mall scenes. There's two mall scenes. Yeah. But yeah. just kind of like all those scenes are kind of pivotal in establishing yeah. who he is. Um, so, yeah, there's a number of things that happen there that I thought were super interesting and actually tie in directly to the yoga scene where they're kind of going back and forth. Richie's obviously not having Tony's perspective and his ideas. And then he says, how's your sister? And at that point, they stop in front of the Victoria's Secret, which mm-hmm. is actually where they meet the next in time. the second yeah. mall scene, where Richie's kind of like looking in before Tony gets there. And there's something about that that clearly, Richie, we can interpret it as underhanded. How's your sister? The way that Tony refers to it immediately afterwards, saying like, oh, I thought that you were like browsing on me or whatever. Yeah. He clearly was. It was actually a bit of a threat. Yeah. But the fact that they stopped there at the Victoria's Secret, I thought was really interesting. Why? I feel like Richie is now about to engage in manipulation of these events in his own way. Mm-hmm. And he's going to take this to this kind of sexual relationship mm-hmm. level with Janice mm-hmm. from the Soprano family. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he's kind of like weaponizing that. Totally. And I feel like they stopped there, and Tony probably should know better to have interpreted it correctly the first time. But we'll see how it plays out. And, like, Richie going to yoga is probably manipulative. Sure. So we see him... Well, like how he goes to visit Livia at the hospital, right? Exactly. Like, does he go there to see Livia, or does he go... We don't know. ...to see Janice slash the body. But that's behavior that is actually kind of more in line with Janice. And yeah. we can see, actually, that they're kind of like two peas in a pod. They really are. <laughs> they really are. That kind of, that level of manipulation, just like bold-faced sociopathy to kind of yeah. get what you want is interesting. And I th- feel like Richie kind of like makes up his mind in terms of the action and the the route he's going to take Yeah. at that point. Yeah. When they're kind of talking about it. I um, like there, too, they also reference Feech Lamana's card game. I know. I yeah, for, like, saying that Richie saved his ass at that point. So that's something that will come back way later. So in much this later. Show. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, he's a Seasons funny to come. But I love how this show kind of just like sows the seeds of history for these characters. Yeah. And background. And then they expand on it later. So it's cool. Yeah. Uh, I was going to talk a little bit like because I, I mentioned the scene of Richie's 
uh, welcome home party. But there's one thing that was kind of resonating for me throughout, and so I might just talk about that a yeah. little more largely. Um, so we have the scene where he's welcomed back by his crew. You know, they're giving him money. He's being a grumpy piece of shit for yeah. the most part. And, like, just, like, being nasty to yeah. everyone. Christopher kind of is the only one that really, like, after he walks away, Christopher's like, what does he say? Yeah. He's well, like, like, like attitude, attitude problem attitude or something, issues, yeah. <laughs> which is something that you say about a child often, right? You say right. that about a child. He's got it. And Christopher himself is childish, too. Yeah. So it was interesting. The rest of the guys kind of tell him to shut up. But um, we we have a lot of jokes throughout this episode, mm-hmm. like Polly's um, blowjob joke that he then repeat <laughs> repeats back to Tony right. again yeah. right after, which is classic Polly. It was a pretty good joke. I think it deserved two tellings. <laughs> it, it really, I, there are a lot of moments in this episode that were like that. Um, then we have a reference when Richie goes to see Junior. He says, like, put on a shirt. I'm getting a chubby, right? Right. <laughs> uh, which is a great line. But then we have him, like, so during his welcome home party, we have him getting a blowjob right. from some of the girls at the bang. And he's not, it doesn't work out for him. He's not able to finish his blowjob. And they ask, right. did we do something wrong? And he's sitting in the dark. He yeah. likes the dark. So, it's, yeah. Um, well, I'll get to my color stuff later. You'll get, yeah. I, well, well, all I kind of want to say here is so then, so my connection then is later on when Tony is visiting Beansy, he asks Beansy, are you a thousand percent sure mm-hmm. that it was Richie? And he says a thousand percent, a million, more like a million percent, yeah. right? So we know that the show plays with our like expectations of like certainty or like, mm-hmm. um, right. you know, like so... The show wants us to believe, and I mean, most signs point to the fact that Richie is probably one of those characters who is about a million percent bad. Right. But we get this little window in that scene where he, like, can't finish his blowjob. Right. um, That, you know, he's also a character with depth and damage mm-hmm. and who knows where like we don't know what the april well, even... the april household was like when they grew up right so that's kind of where my right. mind started to go well and this show's so thorough i mean we'll see even in the course of yeah. this season <laughs> in terms of richie's sexual hang-ups what yeah. he does need which is interesting yes so these characters are so fully flushed out and i think it's it's interesting yeah to, yeah but i think like that's even this character who like we see this episode as just being like you know, emotionally evil, physically evil, like just like a bad dude all in all, um, that we still are able to kind of have these feelings of not being a million percent sure, not not even a thousand percent sure that someone is just all black and white. Um, Right. Yeah. And yet the way that he behaves certainly is. Totally. Oh, I mean, in that second scene where they're at the mall, and Tony's like yelling at him about Beansy. Yeah. And you kind of have Tony looking down on him and his mouth is just twitching. Yeah. It's so, I mean, he's a great actor. Yeah. He's just like amazing. But yeah, he's had this like mouth twitch going yeah. on. It's so like, you feel his pent up yeah. rage and anger. Yeah. Even though he's not like acting out in that moment. Yeah. Just like the little mouth twitch. It's so good. I think it's interesting too, like him coming from a different time operating in the mob and Tony reflecting on an earlier time and mm-hmm. acting in this kind of like cut and dry way where he talks about like outside is the 1990s, in here it's the 1950s, like that kind of attitude. Yeah. I feel like Richie is coming from a more like cut and dry mob 
culture. Mm-hmm. So that was actually, that was like, just that was a really interesting scene where he's in the dark and he's wearing all black. Yeah. Like completely wearing black. They turn on the lights. Well, but What's, for the rest of the episode, he's wearing well, weird, this is what's weird really interesting. beige colors. Well, not actually not always. When he goes to visit Livia, he's wearing all white. Well, I, I, actually, would, I would say it's beige. I would call it white. Hmm. Hmm. Color disagreement. Hmm. Well, so much so actually that he's mistaken from the other woman in the bed as a nurse. <laughs> and when... Richie is then talking to uh, Janice downstairs. Mm-hmm. We can actually see nurses, nurses walking behind, and they're wearing the exact same color. Like, and I, For me, that's just like a white, but okay. whatever. It doesn't matter. Cream. He's wearing all black before, and then he goes in this situation that we are interpreting and talking about earlier as potentially manipulating mm-hmm. and putting on a face and putting on an mm-hmm. image of something. And when he's in yoga, he's also wearing that same color. Yeah. So I think that he is most comfortable and exists in the mob world but he has kind of like two faces and one of them is maybe coming out like through him as a sociopath but he's manipulating certain actions and images to kind of get something that he wants but i feel like it's again it's very like cut and dry it's very like for all we've really seen of him is he's either running people over as this like obvious new villain or he's putting himself in situations where he comes across like as a good guy Mm -hmm. so much so that he's actually identified with a healthcare professional. Right. Like a caring, yeah, yeah. giving profession. Yeah, interesting. It's really interesting. Well, but they also both kind of, like I said before, with like the yoga, like both of, both Janice and Richie engaging in yoga. Mm-hmm. Like, again, I, I have to remember a little bit more about what happened to Richie before he went to jail. I kind of forget that whole story right now. Well, we'll see. Yeah, but I like, they're, they are both in some ways, you know, successfully or not trying to not be the same people that they were before right um it's very hard for both of them to do that debatable though with richie well if he's trying to be somebody different yeah again that's that's being a sociopath right and it seems like he's immediately returning to all of the same behavior that he engaged in before he definitely hasn't reformed as a criminal no. That much is clear. No, that's for sure. But I, you know, I, gosh, I wish I could remember. I feel like there, like, there was a reason, like, Jackie was the one out of the two of them that was in charge, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, like. Yep. Um. Anyways, I don't know. We'll co- maybe we'll come back to that at some point. Yep. But. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well. Definitely yeah. <laughs> okay, so who do you, who's your next character? Uh, I don't know. Maybe you could talk about. Do you want to focus on Sopranos first? Sure. Then we can talk about Melfi maybe yeah. later. Yeah, okay. totally. Well, I mean, so we have the episode starting with the party in Livia's house. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that plot that develops in this episode of Meadow on the party and her yeah. dealing with her parents is super interesting. Yeah. So what are some of your thoughts on that? Um, I just love Meadow's level of manipulation in this mm-hmm. episode, right? Because like... We, we see her, you know, lying to her parents at some points in season one. Um, but we don't see her kind of engaging in this level of... Mani- like, she knows yeah. that she can manipulate their parents. And, and Tony and Meadow have that conversation. Like, we can't let her know that yeah. she's got us cornered, she says, right? Like she, Tony says, yeah, if she finds yeah. out we're powerless, we're fucked. Yeah. But she already knows that, right? Yeah. Um, and I love that smile that we see her have when she walks away from the whole like negotiation about yeah. the discover card and things like that, like yeah. what her punishment Ooh, is no going to be. No discover card for three weeks. I know, poor Meadow. Poor Meadow. Um, we Great see, job. of course, like when she's then later hanging out with Hunter Scancarella, who like, in retrospect, I just like really don't like that character. Like she just, the actress herself, 
annoys me. Mm. David Chase's daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think she's one of the weaker actors in the mm. in the show. <laughs> oh, no, nepotism's got you down. I know, oh. but but we have that scene with the two of them singing "No Scrubs." Yeah. Um, I also Meadow likes to sing the heart, the high part of um, the song, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the part I like to sing too. <laughs> <laughs> Not today, yeah. but um, we <laughs> see them good. talking about all the ways in which they manipulate their families, right? Yep. Like Hunter Scangarello is bulimic so that her parents don't. Pretty fucked up. Pretty fucked up. Yeah, but I think that that's interesting because control is always like a major theme in this show. Sure. And looking at how Meadow knows how to control the soprano parents is mm-hmm. interesting because Tony is very rarely controlled by characters. Mm-hmm. And we see that happening now in some ways for the first time through Richie, who's somebody mm-hmm. who's like actually willing to completely stand up for him. Mm-hmm. In fact, this season has kind of introduced many new antagonists to mm-hmm. Tony who in different ways are willing to stand up to him. Janice, there's a scene where they're kind of confrontational mm-hmm. and the film work really makes it look like Tony is dominating. His stature well, again is dominating. That bowl. Yeah. yeah. But Janice is also like a dominating commanding presence mm-hmm. and she stands her ground. Like, Tony really gets in her face, and eventually Carmela and Janice kind of make up in their own way. Yeah. And even that has but these, Janice like, complicated overtones. But Janice is so in control overtones. of that, too. Yeah, like... there's still complicated overturn- overtones of control and a power dynamic. Even, like, interesting things where they talk about it, and Carmela says she wants her to stay. And then there's still, like, these, like, unspoken things that are not getting spoken about, like the music. Mm-hmm. You know, Janice brings up the music, and then in the end, as Carmela leaves, she's saying, like, actually, if you could turn it down a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just, it's funny the way that all these different characters interact and deal with conflict. Yeah. I love Meadow's way of doing it, though. Like, she had so many, like, she, after she's, like, brought home from this party, right, the mm-hmm. night before, and Tony's just like, get in the car, right? Yeah. And she's like, it wasn't my fault. Um, she gets sassy. Like, she comes down to breakfast. Yeah. I said to Alex when we were watching the scene where she comes down to breakfast, allegedly, when my parents were watching this show, they said, do they know Val? Because mm. Meadow's just such a classic, sassy teenager. Um, but she's like, now who's repeating themselves? And like, right. like oh, because he owes you money? Like, yeah. she gets really, like, yeah, really aggressively sassy. But then, then again, I, like, I love... everything we've seen between interactions between meadow and tony and i know that i talked about in the college episode yeah that's tony's way of dealing with conflict Mm -hmm. he flips things onto the Mm -hmm. other people so it makes sense that meadow would use the same techniques i love when she says i could have taken ecstasy but i didn't yeah (laughs) (laughs) she give her a prize yeah she she deserves a trophy for that um but then i so i don't the one thing i i can't quite figure out with meadow in this episode is why she goes in the end to clean the house because like mm. we do see her like witness this argument between yeah. her parents and Janice, right? Yeah, and that we kind of like see her then go back up to her room, and the next time we see her is cleaning the house. We don't yeah. see her after that, but I just, I well, it, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a contrast from the cooking scene, mm-hmm. you know, where they're, they're singing no scrubs mess. and like they're pouring milk basically directly yeah. onto it the focuses counter. so much on it, yeah, yeah. So like making a mess and then bringing that back to her actually cleaning something up from a mess that she made. Mm. I thought it was interesting because I feel like at this point, Meadow's kind of like an unknown entity in Mm. terms of where she's going to end up. Mm. She's kind of the thing that 
She could go Tony many ways. Tony and Carmella are yeah. kind of the most proud of and is a success in a lot of ways and has kind of broken out of the cycle of violence and hypocrisy that exists within the Soprano family. But it's still to be seen where exactly that leads. Mm. Clearly, there's still issues. Mm. But she does engage in behavior where we do kind of view her in a more positive light than almost anybody else on the show. And at this point, the life that Carmela and Tony have built for her, it's possible that she could escape the violence and end up somewhere good. Mm. And that, like, the American dream could actually manifest itself with mm. her. So, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just, for me, it's like there's something endearing about it. Like, I think she hears the conversation and at some level she gets that it was her fault mm. more than she was kind of projecting earlier. Mm. And she's doing something about it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she's also just trying to manipulate, though. <laughs> right. Maybe she's, you know, she recognizes that her Discover card um, punishment wasn't actually enough and that she's worried about something further happening now that she knows that Janice isn't on her side. Right. Because Janice was on her side right. in the beginning. She's the one who comes and says... For every it's like 19 a Zulu times. saying or something. Like Zuni or something. Yeah, yeah. Zuni. Anyway, but, you know... That's fascinating, too, how Janice completely changes her tune as soon as it affects her. Yeah. So once she goes to the house, also getting out of her car, listening to the craziest the music. the weirdest music ever, yeah. It's those kind of details that you don't always notice, but yeah. I She's recommend... listening to weird music later. Like, when Carmela tells her to turn it down, it's also it's kind of like weird. It's just, like, somebody screaming. Yeah. And like yelling yodel, with yodeling some, like, yodeling with some, like, tribal drumming going on. Yeah. It's great. I love it. I don't know what it is, but... Anyway, that's yeah. unimpo unimportant. But when she gets there and then it starts to affect her, her demeanor completely changes. And that's actually when she confronts Tony and Carmela about yeah. dealing with Meadow. Yeah. So I think Meadow can also realize the complexities of like when she's going to be targeted for something or when she's like in danger of a greater punishment. Yeah. So she also takes action then. So in some ways, it's actually not that endearing or positive because she's only doing things out of her own interest. Yeah. But how does well, that how is that nothing. different than anybody, anybody else on this show? Or anybody else really like in well, the world in some on ways. This show. Yeah. <laughs> um we have her saying like it wasn't my fault and yeah. then we do have later on Janice talking about Tony and saying, "Well, nothing's ever his fault," right? right. So we do see the reflection yeah. there between yeah. those two characters as well. Yeah, that's a good catch. Um I thought it was interesting, too, like that first scene right away, Tony walks in and he goes in, you know, and he's like in your grandmother's house. He walks straight to her and there's actually that like great shot. It's like really like kind of. Yeah, where there's like a girl vomiting on the floor well, in front of her. that's what's interesting. He just kind of walks by that. Yeah. He just kind of grabs her and takes her. So Well, he also throws a beer bottle, right? Yeah. He takes a beer bottle from that other girl and yeah. throws it, right? Causing yeah. more damage. Like, yeah. you know, like he didn't need He's to do that. He's kind of indifferent to yeah. the effects on other people outside yeah. of his immediate family. Yeah. And he just kind of grabs her. and. Well, and there's kids being taken out on stretchers, right? And, yeah. and he's like, what happened to that guy? And he's like, yeah. oh, an overdose on... K and or special yeah. K and whatever it was. Or something yeah. There. But even still, you know, when he goes to Meadow and he says, in your grandmother's house, like that's the issue. Yeah. Like, it's it's a that family it ties back issue. to his yeah. family. I thought it was interesting too when he's talking to Carmela and she says, Well, like, what did you say after she said the usual shit of it's not her fault? And he said, I yelled, what the fuck else am I gonna do? And 
for him, that's typically all he can do. We see that mm. later on in the episode with Richie, like mm. kind of t- to get aggressive and to dominate. Mm. But that doesn't necessarily work. And with Janice. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. necessarily work within the dynamic of him and his daughter or really him and his sister. Mm. So that's like what this show introduces with this kind of like domestic element. That those things that work for him in his mob conflicts don't work for him within his family conflicts. Mm. And I thought it was interesting, too, like the cuts that they would have from the violence of Richie against Beansy at the pizza restaurant, cutting to the conflict within the Soprano house, right. yeah. dealing with the aftermath of the party and that scene that you were talking about where Meadow's sassy. Like, well, what can Tony do? He can raise his voice. He yells. What the fuck else can he do? Yeah, well, like like he and Carmela were saying, like, as long as people don't realize that they have us trapped. or what, how, do, how does he say it again? You, if you she were, finds out we're powerless, we're, powerless, we're fucked. powerless, yeah. Well, ultimately, that extends outside of just Meadow. He's powerless against Richie. Richie can kind of do whatever he wants. Yeah, no, that's the thing. And yeah. all he can do there is just yell, and that's what he does in the end. Yeah. But we're definitely left with the sense that Richie's not going to listen to that. Yeah. That's not going to work. No, totally. So, yeah, that's definitely interesting. Anything else on Janice that we wanted to touch on? I feel like we've talked about her kind of I mean, I think it was interesting, you know, like, her originally, she's saying, like, you can't be so hard on Meadow. And then, you know, when she comes back, the things that she says, like, she's beyond outraged. And she says, that place is fucked. And then they say, I thought you didn't swear. Yeah. Which is interesting, like, she's projecting this image, this Parvati Wasatch that's not holding together it's just falling apart in front of our eyes like as she's in this environment it's just like the actual soprano characters i wrote down that line too i thought she didn't swear because i thought that was an interesting one yeah Um, it's just it's just interesting like that scene i was talking about where they're having conflict like we have shot like the shots between tony and janice are looking up at tony making him look more imposing looking down at janice making her look less imposing and yet there's something about janice holding her own there yeah she we definitely get the sense that Tony is, to a degree, the more dominating, in-control character within that power dynamic. Mm-hmm. But Janice isn't really getting pushed around mm-hmm. at all. And yeah. it's kind of similar to Richie. Like, she's going to still have her way. She's going to still act out in the way she wants to. Chooses yeah. To. I jotted down a few other things about yep. Janice slash Parvati. Like, I, that thing I thought you didn't swear I thought was yeah. good. Um, Tony also says, like, you're just here to pick the freaking bones, mm-hmm. which I thought, again, kind of with that reptilian kind of um, beast kind of imagery that we have, right? Yeah. Um, she kind of, yeah, she does come in at a time, kind of like coming in at the end, right? Like, there's been all this garbage that's been going on. And with, you know, she and she talks about it, like, he's been looking after Tony's been looking after Livia for the past however many years since she's been gone like she comes back kind of when things are really going to shit yeah right like kind of here to peek pick the freaking bones um I also like that she refers to her so they're talking about her we find out she has this son yes Harpo Harpo Hal (laughs) Harpo slash Hal right and um and it's it's neat in Neat. It's not neat, but neat. It's, it's neat. Uh, it's interesting in reference to when Richie goes to see Livia yep. and he says, is Parvati here? And Livia says, I don't know who that is. She says, don't start with that name business. She did it to shame well, me. Well, even before that, she says, yeah. I don't know who that is. But yes, I wrote that one down too. She did it to shame me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which well, is interesting in terms yeah. of the Harpo Hal Definitely. of her son, right? You see this like intergenerational yeah. trauma or whatever you would like to call it. But then yeah. she also, I like that she also refers to the reason why she's not 
reunited with her son who's in Montreal. Yeah. Um, because she's on some kind of enemy radicals list. <laughs> right. That's very strong. <laughs> Another like small detail when you're yeah. watching for the first time is you maybe don't pick up on, but it's like, damn, like what what did you do? That's that's a strong yeah, yeah. situation to be in. I, I just liked the terminology also. <laughs> But yeah, I, I just feel like it's interesting, like, generationally, I just feel like every generation in this show is doomed to repeat the same mm -hmm. mistakes of the mm -hmm. generation from before them. And so Janice has to live out on the other side. She has to kind of, like, reap what she sowed. Mm -hmm. Sow what you reap? reap? No, you reap, reap what, what you, you sow. sow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's going to reap what she sowed. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about... Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. You want to talk about Melfi? I would love to talk about Melfi. Okay. Um, well, mm -hmm. last episode. Yep. We The last we see of Melfi is when she and Tony meet at the restaurant. Yes. Was that last episode or was that the first episode? Uh, that was the first episode. Okay. So we, don't think, we, didn't, we didn't see so. her last episode, I don't think. I don't think so. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, so that's the last week. Now, seen. interestingly, these are the two episodes that actually got flipped, right? Oh, yeah. These are the two episodes I'm, I'm pretty sure that were filmed and that the intention was to put this one second and that one. I think you're put right. Put the last one third. So Do Not Resuscitate was supposed to be third. Toodle Fuck Anew was supposed to be second, but they flipped it, which I think works well. I think it works. Yeah. I like that we've waited so long to get Richie, too. Anyways. Yeah. So yeah, long. especially like. For those of you who are watching this for the first time, when you reflect on season two, it's really dominated by Richie. He's such mm -hmm. a dominating You presence. remember him. Yeah. yeah. And um, so it's interesting that he just showed up. Similar yeah. to like what we've been talking about with other characters, like it's shocking how little screen time they have or how little speaking lines they have. Yeah. Characters like Pussy, Polly, Syl, like for the whole first season, they're kind of peripheral characters. Yeah. But as the show goes on, even, yeah, you start to think of them as more integral to everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But then the first time we see Melfi here is really similar in some ways to another time where we see her and Tony, Melfi and Tony, run into each other at a restaurant, right? Yeah. And this restaurant also seems to be in New York because um, what's Johnny his face Sachs is there? there? Johnny Sachs is there. Um, but I don't know. But she's with her friends. Mm -hmm. The three of them have a whole bottle of wine wow. together. Mm -hmm. Um, so she's obviously wasted. That's also, yeah, it's pretty hilarious just to kind of like place her in a like social. A group of girlfriends. Yeah, but also like she's so outside of the world of the mob. Yeah. Like a bottle of wine between three people and they're wasted and like that's going out for yeah. them is kind of actually, it's, I mean, it's great writing because it just like immediately places like what kind of people they are. Yeah. And like we've talked about that in the first season, like when she's being followed, like her life really is so like boring and yeah. like kind of domestic and repetitive yeah so. um but yeah it's really reminiscent of that other time that they run into each other right yeah and have a very different interaction it's yeah. funny that now like despite the fact that melfi's life has been upended and she's feeling guilt over the death of a patient she's actually the one being brushed off kind of like, yeah she's the yeah. one being brushed off and she's the one who's kind of actually like more engaging towards tony yeah i also thought it was interesting that like she has been drinking and then she goes into like this like deep analysis with elliot kupferberg about her intentions and it's funny because, like, it could be an example of overthinking, too. Mm -hmm. Like, if she was just coming from having this fun time with her friends and they drank a bottle of wine and she's kind of, like, giddy, maybe that doesn't necessitate, like, deep analysis about her, like, yeah, well, the, like, well, Freudian Elliot, slip of her Elliot words. Elliot Kupferberg and... is someone who, right. who does love to overanalyze things that are really 
in some yeah, ways. Yeah, I, I think that that environment actually is really interesting of that office, like his weird water bottle with oh like mesh on it. Like it's like it's like a like a hunting water bottle or something. Yeah. It's really strange. I just thought it was funny too, like the color scheme that they have there. It's this like deep, rich green that they mm. have that we haven't seen before. Mm. And Melfi even has a green pashmina on her, mm -hmm. which is funny because it links to that. Meadow, Meadow yeah, borrowing buy, money borrowing to buy a to pashmina, buy a pashmina yeah. for Carmela. But there's something about that environment with Elliot that that's might, new. Sorry, that might have been overanalyzing Well, okay, but this too. is actually kind of what I'm getting to. <laughs> this is kind of, So you have this like very kind of like formalized, kind of like deep, rich color scheme. Yeah. They're talking about the like, the depths of her saying toodle fucking new. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to be aware and for anyone who's getting into this side of The Sopranos to be aware that it's very easy to overdo it on the analysis. And we don't really know the intentions and we do our best. But there's something about that kind of like environment that's like maybe even like a little bit pretentious that maybe it's not actually getting to the heart yeah. of these things. Well, I think, El yeah, Elliot's such an interesting character. We only see him. We don't see him often. I wish kind of in some ways we saw more of him. He shows up quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is our first time seeing yeah, him. Yeah, this anyway. is our first time seeing him. Um, the other thing, so, like, I guess all that to say is, like, we're all, we're always overanalyzing this. I think the show leaves you a lot of, like, Obsessive analysis, clues. that's what we yeah, do. Yeah, like, they're, you can obsess over them. I think you still have to look at the larger picture. Yeah. But, um, the, and I do think that they're the in, one. Yeah. The one minute detail that I wanted to point out, maybe you also yeah. caught it too, because this is something that you kind of is like. it the pillow? No. <laughs> okay, I'll, don't worry, I'll get there. <laughs> um, but Melfi has her hair down when she's oh, out with her friends, right? And she oh, and she talks about that being like a t like she was acting in a girlish kind of yeah. childish quote unquote way, which we see come back again and again in this episode. But then when she goes to her meeting with or her appointment with Kuferberg, um, she has her hair, like, very tightly back. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Like a woman. Right. Interesting, yeah. Well, that analysis of childhood regression, it's funny that, like, we get the benefit of these, like, fully flushed out uh, ideas of psychoanalysis, like, when Melfi's discussing them. Because mm -hmm. we don't always get that. We don't always mm -hmm. get that, like, clarity or that, like, that level of processing in terms mm -hmm. of, like, what actually is going on. But... There's something, yeah, there's there's a few interesting things about that. Actually, like, shortly after is the, I think actually maybe even immediately after is the yoga scene mm -hmm. with Richie and Janice where they talk about going into child's pose. And I think there's a lot about characters dealing with issues like children mm -hmm. and regressing. Like, like Melfi says, mm -hmm. like, that's what we get, actually. That's the information we get. Like, she doesn't have as much complicity. Yeah. Yeah. She's not complicit. She, she goes into Jennifer, not Dr. Yeah. Melfi, right? Because if she's not Dr. Melfi, she doesn't have to be this adult in that yeah. scenario. She can just be Jennifer. Which is desirable. Totally. I mean, you know, I, you could see why people would be envious of like what Meadow can get away with. Mm. And people have their own issues and mm -hmm. they're just trying to kind of like get out of it, get mm -hmm. out of the responsibilities of it. It's interesting that in the same episode in the end, Meadows kind of like arc takes her to a point where she's actually more adult and actually dealing with it. Mm -hmm. And we'll see where it goes with Melfi too, you yeah. know? Yeah, well, it's interesting just like looking at it, like I think about it in terms of like my professional versus personal life too, right? Like it's interesting to think about Melfi acting in ways 
in order to come across as professional, like the way that she tries to deal with Tony mm-hmm. in a very, like even in scenarios that are really scary yeah. or unprofessional, she makes choices to deal with things in a certain way because of her stature as a psychiatrist, as a whatever, a Dr. Melfi, right? Yeah. Um, but then we do get these little windows into her, right? Like when she's on the date with, what's his face? Where, where she's getting trailed by McKazian. Oh, by what's his face? Yeah, yeah. what's his I, face? What's his face? That's some <laughs> deep Sopranos trivia. I don't know, Richard or something? I, I forget. <laughs> no, not Richard. That's her ex-husband. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Richard LaPena. Uh, <laughs> Very good. But um, but we see her there too. She is kind of like giggly and um, yeah, yeah. Like it's not the Melfi there that we see. There is another side so, to her, and, and we don't get the luxury of seeing that most no, of the time. No. I mean, we do get these little like snapshots. Yeah. But typically, actually, those snapshots of her happy and kind of carefree are, like, very quickly taken away from mm-hmm. her because of her connection to Tony. Of course. In some way. Yeah. The only time that we see that side of her is kind of, like, ripped away. Yeah. But yeah. I want to talk about her dream. Yeah. So I love, I just love dream sequences. So, yeah. like, you're, of course, as usual, kind of put, you, you don't know that this is a dream, right? We see Tony driving in the rain. Yeah. Right? Slowly, we start to hear the music that he's listening to in the background, which is the you're out of the woods, you're out of the dark, you're out of the night um, from The Wizard of Oz, which is right before they get to the emerald gates to the gates, right? They're being kind of like sung down the yellow brick road towards the gates of Emerald City. Um, And then we see him start to, you know, like like we've seen him before, start to like go into this panic attack kind of mode. He's trying to take his Prozac. um, And then there's these flashes of light and the car crashes. And then we see Melfi, which is weird for your own dream to see yourself driving by. I don't know if that was just so we could understand it or not or whatever, or that we're still tricked into thinking this might be real. But she looks at Tony lying on the front of his car and then she wakes up. Yeah. Right? But she still hears the Wizard of Oz music, Oz music yeah. actually. And that's one one kind of hint that it's not, well, maybe she would hear it from Tony's crashed car. I don't know. Yeah. But, well, and then she wakes up. And what's her head on? A pillow? It is. And okay. it actually happens to be the exact same color as the color scheme in Kupferberg's office. <laughs> <laughs> Where I'm going with this, I think that there's a link to that level of analysis coming from a character like Melfi or Kupferberg who are experienced in yeah. psychoanalysis yeah. and these like Freudian ideas where they're yeah. processing things at a different level. But there's something about it for me that doesn't work or doesn't fit into the mob world. Right. So even like when Melfi uses the term about like, she had to go on the lamb. Right. And so she's obviously been informed. Yeah. Did you just from... say lamb? <laughs> so what's this about lamb? Yeah. <laughs> so there's something that Kupferberg doesn't get. Right about the world, and there's clearly stuff that Melfi has not mm-hmm. gone as time, but she gone knows on. a little but bit she's more. She's been yeah. changed by it to an extent, and there's something, yeah, about maybe analysis doesn't work as well in that kind of black and white, a va- casual we, violence world. We should just stop now, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe that should be the last episode. Interestingly, too, <laughs> in Melfi's dream, Tony's wearing this super blue shirt actually, as he's driving through the mm. rain, which is unusual for him to wear. He doesn't wear it very often. Mm. Typically, he's wearing blacks, whites, sometimes grays. Mm. But in her depiction of him, for me, I was wondering if that maybe reflected, like, her thinking of him as a more 
complex character. Human character. Yeah, as a more yeah. human character or somebody who's willing who's willing to and capable of dealing with these complexities mm. in a way that she could actually serve him. Well, in order to treat someone, I think you kind of have to believe in that, yeah. right? You kind of have to be an optimist. You can't think nothing that yeah. I'm going to do is going to help this person, yep. right? Uh, I mean, we, we see her come to that conclusion, maybe. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in order to treat someone and try to help somebody... You can't see them that way. Yeah. Interestingly, at the end of the episode, too, actually, as he goes to see Meadow, he's also wearing a blue shirt. Not mm -hmm. as, like, rich, but it is interesting. Yeah, as he's kind of thinking about that family aspect and Meadow maturing, growing up, actually dealing with these issues in sort of, like, an adult way for things not to be so black and white. I thought that was interesting. Because it stands out. I mean, Tony wearing something like that actually is unusual. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's all I have on pillows and shirts. <laughs> um, I think that's kind of all I have. So whatever you have left, we can... Oh, you know, I have some small things. I, You know, I have about the... It's interesting, but I mean, we get Janice's full fake name, Pervati Wasatch, that we were yeah. referencing when they... It's not a very French that. name. I was, you know, when we knew that her son and her ex, I assume, are in Montreal. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was interesting. Like, for me, the focus on that, that close-up, which the show always uses to indicate some sort of mm -hmm. importance in some way, seeing her name, Care of Livia Soprano, with mm -hmm. the address, I think that's part of her power play to get the house. Mm -hmm. Like, the fact that she's getting disability now in New Jersey, there's mm -hmm. something about that in terms of, like, her succeeding in a step of her plan yeah to like have and she's this really and she's or, really happy about it yeah to yeah. bring Parvati there and yeah i think mm -hmm. it's more than just the payment yeah 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 mm -hmm. no we, we focus on that check for a long time also one other thing mm. my last thing i'll leave it on this is uh on that scene where janice and tony have a confrontation mm. the scene starts in a great way that i love and the most domestic way possible tony's uh, taking Tony his honeycomb iq eating some honeycombs reading the back of the box and getting his honeycomb iq that's amazing well and interestingly they take that which i don't know if i could possibly think of anything more domestic and mundane than yeah. that. but then the camera spins in a similar way that we've talked about a lot and we've seen before that brings about like a different side of him yeah so it's yeah it's i think this episode really wrestles with like tony's domestic life tony's life in the mob dealing with conflict so complicated conflict with uh female characters like his you know like mm -hmm. his daughter and janice mm -hmm, and mom. the complexities that exist there and then also with richie and really like how does how does one deal with conflict well he says i can yell what the fuck else am i gonna do mm -hmm. and in some ways he is sort of powerless outside of that yeah so What's your honeycomb IQ? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure, but I definitely remember those things on the back of Very cereal high. boxes. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back. Uh, commend will... Commendatories. Ooh, next great episode. episode. Yeah. Yeah. Some of my favorite lines from that episode. Ooh. Mm -hmm. well, and probably some of your favorite colors. Oh, man. Red. They have this red sauce. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. I'm done. Thank you. Okay. Bye. bye.